Welcome to episode 526 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we share a grand conversation with artist, activist, community builder, and candidate for New York City Council 34, Paperboy Love Prince. We talk with Paperboy about a right to housing, Jordan Neely, the New York subway system, the homeless, alternate voices, Wall Street, hobosexuals, class issues, local papers going out of business, diversity of thought, the severely corrupt political system making voting cool and giving more power to the people among other things a grand conversation once again with paper boy love prince we also have an ew essay titled sharp and clear we share an excerpt from leslie ann brown's book titled decolonial daughter And we have an E.W. poem called Heifer. All of this, of course, will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it then. Episode 526 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours.
sharp and clear. It's our time. The street performers rule the streets. The poet troubadours make the scene complete. Lady Horsewhip finds a good man, and then she can have her family. She is cis-hetero with an attitudinal swagger on ramped-up full display. The moon is almost full, too, as the sun has just set on the horizon without a single hope or regret for today. We just want the community to live earnest and vibrant. We want to make ends meet and feel complete despite its relentless tyrants. While diamonds compress sharp and clear inside the deep earth so close to its center, dancing with its girth, floating within our atmosphere, soon to be sowing notions of value and worth, nurturing symbols of strength and love, not selfish fear. The tear tattoo below his eye on a prominent Cherokee cheekbone remembers why, and the long trek from there to here. The neighborhoods named Double Dutch and English-French with no shame. The vigilante ex-marine, mental, gentle man, lost and angry. The newbie professional working the streets so far from their family. And you and me hiding from the heat under the roof of a backyard shandy, drinking sweet brandy on ice just nice as it all spins into nothing so ephemeral and alive it's our time clandestinely transcendent sublime
Paper Boy Love Prince, is that you? Yes. Thank you so much for being on Troubadours and Rock on Tours once again. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. For those who don't know who Paperboy Love Prince is, let me give you a little bit of background. They are an artist, an activist, a community builder, and a candidate for New York City Council Brooklyn 34 in New York City. Uh, right now, yeah. working to unseat Jennifer Gutierrez, I believe, right? Correct. Uh, you have uh, run for mayor of New York City and also for Congress. And uh, a lot of attention has been given to your agenda and your approach. And we want to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, I guess the primary is uh, in uh, late June, June 27th, I think. Yeah. So we're getting close to that. How are things going with your candidacy? Well, I just want to say I'm super happy to be here. You know, I enjoyed talking to you all before, and, you know, I really count it as a privilege, and I think it's super important to have outlets like this that, you know, give um, alternative voices a platform and also give a chance to inform New Yorkers. So I just want to say with my first moment here, thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure, Paperboy. I, I enjoy your energy, and I enjoy what you do. Uh, generally speaking, so it's it's my pleasure. Um, now, you know when when we I was looking at your agenda, uh, and I want to get into some of that, and then we'll we'll see where where our conversation goes. The first several items I noticed, the number one is right uh, right to housing. That's a big part of your platform. Do you want to explain you know what you mean by that? Yes, I mean. In essence, it's very simple, but, you know, um, to kind of go more in-depth, um, we live in a world and a city that basically sets the tone for, and I don't take this lightly, sets the tone for the rest of the planet. Um, so for me, a right to housing is super important. I mean, right now, you know, especially uh, we live in a basically a society where if you want to put up a tent or, you know, you can't just uh, you can't just create your own housing at this point. You have to uh, submit to the kind of like bureaucratic system that comes with housing, which might be uh, first month rent, last month and a deposit. It might be a co-signer. All of these things. And, you know, um, we have to draw a line about human rights. And the homelessness crisis is at a point where no one has found an accurate solution. I mean, New York City gets billions of dollars from the federal government to fix the homelessness crisis. But, the, but it's not fixing it. And, you know, I've talked to several folks who've been in shelters in New York City, right? And they get the voucher. Um, they'll get their voucher. And one moment, I have a... Um... Sorry, just 
about it, Matthew. They get their voucher, and the amount that the city is spending on vouchers for these folks, it would be cheaper just to give them housing. How so? Um, It'd be cheaper to give them housing rather than give them a voucher because the voucher, it seems that that's putting the burden on the person too, right? I mean, why not make it easy? Right. Well, one, the voucher doesn't always guarantee housing. So a lot of landlords don't want to accept the voucher for a variety of reasons. And then also, um, you know, a lot of folks that are in the shelters, it might cost over $3,000 per person per month for them to be in a shelter. Whereas, you know, in New York City, you can find a pretty decent apartment uh, for $3,000 a month Mm -hmm. uh, all over the city. Um, So, or at least a room, right? So for me, finding a way, and, and we're in the 21st century, we're in 2023, finding a way to give folks housing is like, at this point, it's like, feels non-negotiable and so like that was a um, focal point for me where we have to draw the line and say hey you know a right guaranteeing the right to housing pushing for that is super important yeah i I hear you i mean it does seem like it should be a, a basic right and not a privilege to have housing and as we know there are millions of people if not billions of people on this planet who don't have adequate housing uh, and New York City, I, I agree with you. You know, we are a beacon to the rest of the world as to what you know is ethical and what is progressive and what is uh, moral and all of that. So yeah, if we if you can't do it there, where everybody's looking, then it might be difficult to convince people other places that it's viable or that it's something that even should be a priority. Um, now, when you look at present day Mayor Mayor Eric Adams. And his approach to homelessness, what do you think so far? I mean, I think it's been more of the same old, same old. You know, it hasn't been uh, a a city-defining approach that really takes us into the future. I mean, where where I come from it is this, right? We live in the richest country, um, in the richest city in the world of all time. I mean, there hasn't been a city with more... Uh, production with more uh, work the financial center of the united states of america is based in the city wall street right um we know it's not directly funneling into the city but that money is right here yet we have a severe homelessness crisis um and we have folks so many folks facing eviction i mean record numbers of evictions happening right now and it's it's not by accident that the um mainstream media isn't talking about it it's all on purpose and so kind of my job as somebody who is uh, more closely aligned with everyday new yorkers is to bring the focus back on uh the things that matter to people and that are like affecting their lives so housing i mean like homelessness is obviously a reality but it's the worst case scenario but housing is something that is like uh super important and something that needs to be changed. Are you so, in yeah. Bushwick? Funny enough, I am in Miami. Miami, Florida. Florida. Yeah. yeah, I'm uh, coming at you live from Miami, Florida right now. Basically, I have a, um, I have a family member who is getting engaged, and I have an opportunity 
and I have an opportunity to come out and hang out with them. Great. So when when we look at uh, homelessness, a lot of folks, oftentimes in New York City in particular, they, they equate that with immediately with mental illness. And we had the tragedy of Jordan Neely uh, just a few weeks back, over a month back, on the F train. Do you think that's an accurate assessment that, you know, mental illness is a big part of the homelessness problem or is it more complicated than that? I think it's a lot more complicated than that. I think the the squeakiest uh, wheel, uh, to use a metaphor, is mental illness, right? Like, they're some of the ones that uh, are most visible, are, are kind of the most audible that people hear and hear about. So that's what people focus on. But there's a lot of folks, women, men, children, immigrants that are going through homelessness, but you might not see it. They might be going from couch to couch. They might be staying in subways. They might be uh, what they call a hobo sexual where they are, you know, um, dating different people to find places to live and things like that. These are kind of some of the homelessness that isn't as visible as somebody who maybe is. Uh, to use a stereotypical example, is on the street and screaming and is wearing tattered clothes, right, when people think of homelessness. But there's so many folks that are homeless that are um, in these kind of in-between type of situations where they're trying to stay with friends or figure it out. So I I think that, um, you know, mental illness is a real issue and it's important. But that is, what you know, to to equate the two, is kind of ends up being a false equivalent. Um, again, there are a lot of overlaps, and I do think that homelessness heavily affects folks' mental health. But um, you know, that's not the only thing that is that is there. I think it's mainly ends up being a class issue, right? Um, one and one thing I like to highlight about homelessness is, you know, the, as far as the homelessness numbers that we have in New York City, it's primarily ends up being in a uh man issue you know a lot of the i think over 70 percent of homeless folks in new york city are men wow i didn't know that yeah so it's it's not like 50 50 women and men and again the women numbers might manifest differently because there's you know they might be going from couch to couch or something like that but the but as far as street homelessness goes it's uh overwhelmingly men and so figuring out a way to, um, you know, address that and take that seriously. And I, and I feel like because it's men, folks kind of, it's even more easily brushed under the rug. Um, because it's like that whole attitude of be a man and fix it and all of that. So I might have lost your initial question. No, there. no, no. You hit it. You hit it. Definitely. Now, going back to a man that uh, was homeless and that I mentioned earlier, Jordan Neely, did you, I mean, you do a lot of uh, performing and connecting with individuals on the subway system. You ever cross paths with Jordan? Uh, yes, I have. And I also want to say thank you for bringing that up. I, you know, kind of got my uh, start connecting with New Yorkers as a street performer and connecting with folks that were homeless, connecting that folks that were just, you know, literally on the streets, on the subways in New York City as a, sub a subway performer. And it's a very unique perspective to have on the city. And I feel like part of the reason that I'm running for city council is to have more unique perspectives represented. When you only have lawyers, 
that have been in soul fucking jobs and then want to uh, do something for the community and now they're jumping into politics. Those are the only folks that are being represented or that's the only type of background that's being uh, manifested in our government. It's not the only, but it might be the dominant force that's manifested in our government. We get it skewed to a certain type of perspective. When okay. we have folks that are that come from different backgrounds, they might be a mechanic, they might be a uh, stay-at-home mom, they might be an artist such as myself. Uh, you know, that actually gives us the opportunity to bring in a whole new group of voices um, that are in the city. And, you know, diverse representation doesn't just mean race. It doesn't just mean uh, immigration status. It doesn't just mean gender. It also means diversity of thought. And right. so for right. me, having a diversity of thought represented and, you know, reminding folks of that, because when it highlights itself, it doesn't matter until it matters, right? The Jordan Neely, my experience as a subway performer, as it relates to city council, seems like it is minuscule until something sweeps the nation, sweeps the internet like the Jordan Neely situation. And then it's like, wow, I suddenly am more, uh, have more authority on an issue than anybody that is in government because I've been doing that stuff for over five years. Right, right. And the thing that's interesting to me, and uh, you know, there are a lot of people who would agree with your perspective. I mean, you're a very insightful, experienced, intelligent individual, obviously, the real deal, I would say. Uh, yet, People such as yourself, who are the real deal, they, they have a diverse, uh, vast understanding of, of the community, you don't see represented as leaders in, on city councils or as mayor. It's usually, you know, police officers, lawyers, people like that. Why, why do you think that is? Why don't the citizens have enough confidence maybe or, or trust i'm not sure what the word is to vote someone other than that typical uh a person with that typical background do you have a sense of that why yes so i wish now i was doing my own recording of this because this is like my favorite question to answer and it's like honestly a three-hour answer but i'll give you the <laughs> short version of it and the reason is right we have a severely corrupt political system. We have a severely corrupt election system. Uh, excuse me for one second. Gracias. Um, yeah, we have a severely uh, corrupt political system and election system where basically money rules all. And there's a few political bosses who control the choice. So folks feel like they have a choice between a Democrat and a Democrat or Democrat and Republican when it comes to the general election, but they actually don't. Um, there's so many ways that our political system is corrupt that like really speak to why we don't have um, more original voices represented like they, there might be in other countries. Um, we really like this is my favorite thing to talk about. We really have a dictatorship and I'll, I'll break it down quickly. Um, one of the first ways is the endorsement process and, and, um, the person that I'm running against in District 34, which is Williamsburg, East Williamsburg, Bushwick, and parts of Ridgewood, uh, the person I'm running against wasn't very known in the community, um, you know, but was the chief of staff of the previous council member. Right. You're talking. Yeah, you're talking about Jennifer Guterres right now. Yeah. Jennifer Gutierrez, exactly. So instead of having somebody that's a new voice, instead of having a, a 
local teacher, instead of having a local baseball coach, instead of having a um, yoga instructor, or I, I'm just naming things that people do in our district in New York City. Instead of having that, we have another person that is from the political establishment, right, who's already used to the tricks that they play, who already is in the game that they play, who's already, you know, basically was chosen by the previous person. So in a democracy, it's like the people choose. That's the kind of the, the thought that you have about, about democracy is that the people choose. The average person has a voice and is heard and that triumphs over everything. But that's not what it is. What actually it is, is the people who are already in power politically, they orchestrate things so their choices are directly in line so that it feels like you have a fresh choice, but you actually don't. And a lot of folks voting don't even know, wait, this is the chief of staff of the last person. It's literally the same regime as before. Now, maybe, you, you know, a, a, somebody, a detractor might say, well, hey, I like the last regime, so let's keep that going, right? But then that's not democracy. Right now we have political dynasties that time after time, term after term, the point of term limits was to have fresh voices, fresh perspective coming into our city council, but instead we don't have that. And that's why you see nothing changing, you know, nothing changing for the, for the people. Um, and, and so that's why, you know, my first, this would be my fourth time running for office. I ran for Congress in 2020, uh, New York City mayor in 2021, and uh, uh, Congress in 2022. And now I'm running for city council in 2023. And this is the first time that we've done fundraising. And even then, it's a much more unorthodox form of fundraising. If folks want to donate to our campaign, they can do so at paperboy.nyc. But previously, I've never fundraised because what ends up happening is... Favors are expected, I would imagine. Exactly. They're more Folks are more adherent to their donors. And these are usually um, elite donors of the corporate class of the corporate elite class. So we're talking about uh, primarily, again, uh, the real estate interest, um, the corporate banking interest, um, some of these lobbyist groups, kind of these folks that stuff their coffers, their voice gets amplified way more than the average New York City citizen that actually needs So are you getting your donations from average New York City? citizens yes yes so this time around um because in city elections and city council elections they have the matching funds program which for folks who don't know once you reach a certain threshold which is 75 donors inside your district and then five thousand dollars raised in new york city in total uh with a cap at 175 dollars per individual donor you can reach matching funds and the city matches the money that you raise eight to one. So a $10 donation then becomes $90. So uh, that's why this time around we're fundraising. And a lot of it is from folks that have never donated to a political campaign before in their life. Right. But that recognize the importance of what we're doing. Um, and whereas you look at our opponent, it's some of the same folks that have donated to the previous city council member and some of the same folks that have donated to the um, corporate Democrats that have got us in the national crisis that we're in, in the local crisis that we're in. It's some of those same players. And so now our goal is kind of to bring new folks into the fold because, and I want to say this too, you asked about, to your question about 
why don't we have more diverse voices? This is my favorite stat. In, uh, I have a lot of favorite stats, so I might, <laughs> might say that. But this is one of my favorite stats. In New York City primary elections, in recent years and in our district, it's usually less than 5% of registered voters that show up in the primary. Wow. Less than 5%. So that even goes to my point about us having more of a dictatorship than democracy. Because of the apathy uh, that the kind of political class has put on the people, folks are so feel so disenfranchised, feel so much like their vote doesn't count. They're not even showing up. I, I saw a stat from a recent election in, I want to say it was France. It was in some well-known European country. And they were talking about the dip of voter turnout from 88% to 84%. Meanwhile, here, when we have a 20% turnout in an election, and again, some of the higher voting uh, districts, which would be like kind of like the Upper West Side and stuff like that in New York City, some, some of these places in the city they're, have higher turnouts. Their turnout levels around somewhere, speaking off the cuff, but it's usually maybe around 30 to 40 percent. Right. Our, our voting tur- voter turnout across the country in all cities is, is abysmal compared to, like you just mentioned, in uh, the European country, 80-some 80, 80 percent. That would be amazing here. Exactly. But in New York City, it's some of the worst of everywhere in the country because, again, I tell folks on a Tuesday in the summer in New York City, there's a hundred cooler things to do than vote. You can hang out with your girlfriend, you can hang out with your boyfriend, you can go to the movies, you can go to a bar, you can go to a uh, a game, a baseball game. There's so many, you go to a show, so many things to do. Voting is one of the least cool things that you can do. And uh, in other places in the country, you know, say somewhere in the Midwest or something, there might be less going on. So the local election is a really big deal. But here in New York City, folks feel so disenfranchised, they're not even showing up. I mean, they literally aren't showing up. So... Um, you know, folks ask me, wait, why is your name Paperboy Love Prince from the ballot? Why do you represent yourself differently? Why do you do these kind of artistic things or use music or use uh, social media or use fashion to kind of um, kind of raise awareness about the topic that you're fighting for? And I say, I mean, the the voter turnout is so low that they actually need more folks um, like myself who are kind of like representing different interests. Right. You're making vote, voting cool and exciting again. Um, now, again, we're talking to Paperboy Love Prince. He's a candidate for city council, District 34 in New York City. Uh, artist, activist, community builder. Uh, in Miami right now, hanging out with family, celebrating an engagement. And soon back in New York City, I'm sure, to continue his campaigning. Thank you for taking time out. When when you become city council member, what are your top several priorities? You talked about housing. I know arts and culture are very important to you. Decreasing the number of hours that people have to work is another big issue. What would be some of your top several priorities once you become city council member? Right. So um, thank you for asking that. One of my like life goals, and, and one of the things that I want to use my influence to do is actually give, and this thing is thrown around a lot by politicians, so I, don't, I want to highlight this because this is super important to me. It's to give more power to the people. And that means literally once I'm elected, turning over uh, my office to the district. And how would that be done? That would be finding more ways to engage people that um, you know, live in the district 
in every decision we make. Right now, as it stands in our representative democracy in America, we have a representative democracy where basically you vote for a, a political candidate once, and they're going to make hundreds of decisions a day for several years on your behalf, and many of them that you may not agree with. But myself, as someone who is you know, uh, up-to-date with technology, up-to-date with meeting folks in the streets, we also have our um, community space, the paperboyprince.com love gallery, which is on Myrtle Ave, 1254 Myrtle Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, finding more ways to actually give folks that allow their voice to be heard. If, if there's a specific initiative, initiative that matters to them, giving them that platform. Um, so that's one of the main things, because what ends up happening is we have a lot of folks that run for office and they're like, I, hey, I'm John Doe, and I'm running for office, and when I get elected, we're doing what I say. And for me, it's not about what I think. I think I have some of the best ideas out there, honestly, and I say that humbly, but who I, the only people who I think have better ideas than me are the constituents in my district. And so what I want to do is give them the opportunity to really be heard, and that might mean giving them a platform on my social media. That might mean allowing them to be – city council person for a day, you know, in conjunction, conjunction with my staff, that might mean allowing them to micro vote on decisions that we make. So we have more feedback before we, um, you know, make any vote or anything like that. So that's one of the main things. And that's going to allow us to folks that want to participate because they don't feel like we have a democracy. They feel like we have a dictatorship. So allowing, uh, you know, more people to participate would be big. But to hit some of the main points, I would say uh, healthcare is super important. Safety is very important. Bringing, uh, you know, a greener New York City. So uh, when it comes to climate, when it comes to more parks, when it comes to uh, cleaner air, that's super important. Um, saving our schools, you know, bringing our schools into the future and, and, and allowing the parents and students more control over our education system. Um, saving our small businesses. There's a a bill that my city council person and others are trying to pass that they, you know, they name the bill something nice. Uh, this is the Small Business Rent Stabilization Act. I'm sorry, the Commercial Rent Stabilization Act. They'll name it something nice to make you think that it will help uh, the community when actually it's designed to do the opposite and it's been written by lobbyists for the, for the elite and not for the people. So uh, fighting for that, I mean, I also, my city council person, Jen Gutierrez, and this is something that uh, I'm going to kind of dive into more over the next month as we lead up to the election. She was one of, I believe, six city council members that voted to cut nearly $300 million from the New York City public school budget. Mm. And, and, and I wish I was making this up. I mean, I really wish it was like a joke I was saying to like get ahead in the election, but it's not. Uh, parents and students had to file a lawsuit to get that overturned. They voted to cut nearly $300 million from the New York City public school budget, and Eric Adams, along with his plan, that uh, accumulated into a $430 million uh, cut from New York City public schools. So that equates to about a little over a quarter million dollars from every single public school in New York City. Uh, and this will disproportionately affect Latino public schools, African-American public schools, minority public schools, 
programs that are, you know, more unique, whether they're in the arts, whether they folks uh, different backgrounds and all of these things. Yeah. And I say, I say this to folks. If, and then after that, she said, oh, my goodness, I was wrong. That, that I shouldn't have done that. That was that was wrong. But that was after it was already done. And folks had to rally and make it a big deal to even get that to happen. And then all this time it has been wasted in trying to undo the mistake that they did. And, and what it came down to is she still didn't take any accountability and say, hey, I didn't read the bill. Uh, I, I just signed it because somebody told me to. My overlord told me. And I didn't really read what was in there. And I didn't, you know, but if you at your job make a $230 million mistake, if you at your job make a uh, 400 million dollar mistake are you allowed to keep your job do right. you at least have to that doesn't make sense and at a time when teachers are underpaid at a time when new york city schools are some of the most segregated in the nation at a time where you know folks have issues with uh, uh crime and uh, the culture and all these different things well instead of divesting from our schools we should be finding more ways to uh, partner you know build our schools schools up to actually make the public school system vibrant and as successful as possible. But she's shown in the little time that she's been in there that she's not committed to doing that. And so part of what's my job to do is kind of let uh, New Yorkers know, let folks in our district know what happened. Because again, some of this stuff is so complex. Many of the um, local newspapers have you know gone out of business for, and for, all, for a host of different reasons. And so folks don't know the nitty gritty of what people are doing. Part of how these folks are able to stay in power is by nobody highlighting uh, the mistakes, no one highlighting the errors in what's actually happening doing a play-by-play, right? We know everything that's happening in, with Kim Kardashian, but if you ask the average New Yorker, did you know that just last year um, they tried to cut nearly $430 million from public schools, they would be like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. You know, and I have a New York City high school student who's a, a integral part of our staff because of this issue. He, you know, kind of recruited me, wanted me to run for city council, especially in this seat, because he's like, hey, you know, this directly affects me. I'm in school. We don't have a voice. Us students, we don't have a voice. We can't vote. You know, a lot of students aren't even aware of the process. We're still learning about it in our schools that are being underfunded. So we need folks like you who can get the youth excited, who can get the seniors excited, who can get the everyday New Yorkers excited and actually, um, you know, put an end to the corruption in the city council. Well stated. Paperboy, love Prince. Thank you so much for being on uh, Troubadours and Rock on Tours. And, you know, I, I presume when you become a council member or what whatever position in politics you end up uh, having as time goes on, you will continue to be an artist, and uh, you you will uh, dig down deep and have the energy and the chutzpah to fight the machine. Uh, so, in 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 that confident thought, I'd like you to end our conversation by by sharing a little insight as to how you and how others can do all of that. Be themselves, be artists, be true to, you know, what you believe is, is certainly uh, ethical and, and, and the best part of being a human in the face of the machine. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, I've released a bunch of 
music videos, um, writing, uh, social media posts. We just started a political TikTok. It's Paperboy Prince Politics. And, you know, all of these things to try to basically bring these more complex issues uh, to the everyday person, to the everyday New Yorker. And I'm super excited about doing that. And, and part of it is, is like, uh, something, one of my best friends told me this. He was like, do all of your ideas, you know? Um, you, if your goal is to help people, if your goal is to inspire people, you know, if your goal is to uplift your community, do all of your ideas. Don't hold back. Um, you, you have one life to live. And people are waiting on you. We need we need you. We need every single person to be the best that they can be. That's how we're great. So I, I tell folks, you know, right now is not a time to be silent. It's a time active. I come from a, a line of activists. My my grandfather and grandmother started a church in Brooklyn in the 1960s. My uh, mother and father went to uh, college together in Washington, D.C. at Howard University. And um, you were, were protesting there. And that same energy instilled in me is why I'm so eager about using our political system for the people, finding unique ways uh, to actually reach people and and being consistent. You know, like I said, I've run for office for multiple years. And that's not just because I'm like, oh, I feel like I need to be elected. But it's because that consistency of like, oh, wow, yeah, I'm running as a Democrat. I'm on the ballot as a Democrat, and I have been every single time. But it's, I'm also an independent candidate. I'm not the Democratic Party's elite choice, necessarily. I'm the, the folks who really want true change in the city. I'm, I'm their choice. And so finding ways to, like, really bring it back to the people, that's what we need. And... Yeah, I'm committed to doing that, and I'm, I'm so thankful to have platforms like this where I have a chance to speak. I'll say this, too. There's a lot of things where they um, try to shut us out, where they try to diminish our voice. Well, keep up the good fight. You know, I'm rooting for you, and uh, it's always a pleasure talking with you, Paperboy, always. Thank you so much for taking time out to be on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. <laughs> Paper, yeah. It's our time. Thank you so much for having me. Listen, I love you so much. I love all of your listeners, and I don't take it for granted at all having this opportunity. This means a lot to me, and, like, you know, for everyone who listens, know that I will consistently fight for you. If you want to uh, reach out to me, we have our website, paperboy.nyc. You can go there and volunteer or send any thoughts you have, or if you want to uh, donate, you can do that as well right there at Paperboy. Dot NYC and then um, yeah my Instagram is all linked there TikTok Twitter and all of that so I, I really appreciate the opportunity I'm excited June 27th is election day and yeah we're gonna make it happen excellent well I look forward to talking to you the next time and uh, until then enjoy yourself take care of yourself all right have a great one
And now, an excerpt from Leslie Ann Brown's Decolonial Daughter, Letters from a Black Woman to Her European Son. Son, elephants, they say, rely on the wisdom of the matriarch, the grandmother, for survival. She remembers the watering holes, the droughts, the trees, and directions. Etched in her memory is a map to survival based on the wealth of her experiences that could only have been attained through age. Studies have reported that older female elephants are wiser matriarchs and that they are better able to discern the difference between the presence of a threat or a friend. If this awareness is not there, the herd is more vulnerable. They also say that an elephant never forgets. There are no elephants in Trinidad, and my grandmother no longer has memory. You have met your great-grandmother on a few occasions, a few times when I took you back to Brooklyn, and Alzheimer's had not yet claimed her memory. Back then, she was still her laughing and lively self, still dressing like the Queen of England, rolling her head back as a bubble of laughter gurgled through her being, reaching out from her gut and escaping her lips and liking to knock about. So much so, she still lived up to her nickname, Hotfoot. When I was a child and lived with her in Diamond Vale in Trinidad, it was not unusual for her to wake before the rest of us, don her church dress and leather-buckled shoes, and walk to the main road where she'd either go to church or take the bus to Sawa before the unforgiving sun of the tropics would belt out its heat. She'd go to the market and bring back okra so fresh that you could eat them raw. Cassava, callaloo bush, tomatoes, cariali mango, spring onions. Her arms strong from garden work, her legs sturdy and beautiful.
heifer. My mailbox tilts toward the street on a post, nailed like most, just yards away from the latter-day hippie wannabe garden hole compost. Eggshells, coffee grounds, cucumber skins, and orange peels. My memories reel from the abyss to here and now. And I have yet to sit on a stool low to the ground to milk a sacred cow so simply profound. A real heifer with a complacent smile miles and miles into the rural hills far from this town. Circus is coming through Everybody knows That when you Purchase a ticket You expect to Get a show Or take a look at me I'm just a clown And on my face I wear a frown the cost to hang around so take a look at me I'm just a clown the joker stands in the middle and turns a trick for you because sometimes you know it's better to be thought of as a fool Or take a look at me I'm just a clown And on my face I wear a frown I've paid the cost to hang around So take a look at me I'm just a clown Twenty-six of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. 
first and foremost, Paperboy Love Prince, writer Leslie Ann Brown, and these musical artists, Thelonious Monk, Caravan Palace, Childish Gambino, LCD Sound System, Parquet Courts, Charlie Crockett, Brentford Marsalis and Terence Blanchard, too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care of yourself.